good morning again, everyone. Um, if you didn't get one of these prayer cards when you came in this morning, raise your hand, and they're going to give you a prayer card. In other words, I want everybody to have a prayer card. So if you didn't get it, maybe I didn't say that right. If you didn't get a prayer card when you came in, raise your hand, and we've got some guys who are going to give you a prayer card. Um, we really want to pray for you this week. Um, these next six days, I believe, are very important for us in the life of our church. We want to pray for specific requests. You can put anything you've got down uh, on this card. But at the same time, at the end, I'll give you some instructions about something uh, that I'd like to direct you toward. Take your Bibles as well. Keep those hands raised. Somebody give Miss Mim one up here. We still got this whole section over here. Thanks. If you're joining us online, welcome. Glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, all who are either watching online or present, if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. We're in a study of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to continue it today by looking at Proverbs chapter, chapter 5. I'd like to remind you as you're turning to Proverbs 5, the words will be on the screen, but I really want you to, because I'm going to look at the entire chapter, which we haven't done a lot in Proverbs, taken one long section and looked at it, and uh, hey, look up here for a second. I wouldn't look at Proverbs 5 just yet because uh, some of you will be like, what? What are we preaching on this morning? Uh, yeah, just to give you a warning, this has kind of got a, like a PG-13 rating on the sermon I want to be direct. I want to be clear. I want to preach the word of God. If you're new to fullness, this is our, this is our goal. We, we believe in fully embracing the spirit of God, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, teaching through the entire word of God, embracing it fully, 100% of the spirit, 100% of the word. And every so often, you'll come across passages where you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that one. Uh, but um, we're embracing the whole Word of God. And so I just want to remind you as you're, as you're there that Proverbs is given for giving prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. In other words, it's almost like a handbook. Uh, and let me just say this too. It's almost like a Boy Scout handbook. Uh, back when the Boy Scouts were the Boy Scouts. Uh, in, in, the, in the sense that some scholars believe that Proverbs was getting, given to the instruction of young men uh, to help them uh, become wise and understand and be discreet and find, the, find really the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So like this morning, we're going to look at a passage that has to do with sex. It, it's... The whole chapter is a passage on marriage, uh, husbands and wives, and it, it's directed in some ways to the young man to avoid the adulterous woman. Now, it would be easy to take offense. If I were a woman here today, I would take offense and say, what about the adulterous man? Why, aren't we ha why don't we have a chapter on that? It's really encompassed in the whole thing, but it'd be like trying to instruct girls in the Boy Scout manual kind of thing. 
if, you, if you're with me. So it's really directed toward men and their issues, and it's really trying to give us direction on God's plan for sexuality. Now, let me just say, as I kind of launch into this, that you, you probably agree with me on this statement that we live in the most over-sexualized culture that's ever existed. I mean, sex is rampant. Sex is easily available. Sex is a mystery. Sex is whatever you want to define it as. Sex is everywhere. Yeah, I said sex like five times right there. I'm just trying to break the ice here so we'll, we'll move forward. But I can't even begin in this one sermon to address all the sexuality issues that our culture is facing. I can't talk, I, I mean, when it comes to gender identification and transgenderism and uh, all the LGBTQ issues that are out there, this passage is really discussing, and I think in its limitation of discussion, it also gives us wisdom for things that are outside of the limitation. In other words, it's going to talk about sex between a husband and a wife, sex between a man and a woman, and he's going to give some specific directions about adultery in this, but it's really about guarding our minds and guarding our hearts and going with God's plan. And if indeed the author of Proverbs is saying this is God's plan, sex between a husband and a wife, man and a woman, then we can conclude that there are a lot of things, even in the discussion of things I don't have time to talk about today, that are outside God's plan. Anything outside of God's plan is, anybody? Sin. Missing the mark. Here's God's plan. Anything. Now, we don't want to be condemning. We don't want to be hateful. But we also don't want to be apologetic for holding up what God's plan is. And I would like to say also that God's plan is for a dynamic relationship between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. So if you're going to be offended that I'm talking about, not talking about LBGTQ um, things and where does that stand, you'll probably also be offended at some point this morning where I talk about that sex within marriage is to be dynamic according to this passage. I'd also like to set up, and I know this is a long introduction, but i also like to, to set up this truth to you as, uh, as well, that Proverbs 5 is probably one of the most sexually explicit passages in the Bible. You may not read it as such, but if you read it, you'll understand. It, it, there's some veiled language, but even compared to Song of Solomon, it's a pretty, it's a pretty graphic passage, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to go into all the Hebrew words and all of that stuff because I really want to keep it where we can, as a culture, as a family, say, here's where we are. Isn't this exciting? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Last week, money. This week, sex. Next week, you don't know where we're headed. So, all right. Here's the first point. This is really divided into three parts. The, the, I've divided this chapter into three parts. There's like an introduction where the father is inviting the son to a conversation, then there's the conversation, and then there's the decision, kind of like, what are you going to do? So the first point is this, uh, it's time for the talk. 
The father says to the son, it's time for us to have, have the talk. So he says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. I don't know when you learned about sex. I mean, mine already goes back to that time when you learned what sex was. I, for, for me, it was an eighth grade, yes, eighth grade health class. Now, back in my day, eighth grade, this was considered cutting edge, really, to even have a sex ed class in school, much less in eighth grade. Now, I, I don't want to let say to you I was completely ignorant going into eighth grade about sex, but most of what I knew about sex going into eighth grade was wrong. Um, there are a lot of things that were inaccurate in uh, my 12-year-old head about sex. So I had this health class. Now, one of the things my parents, who are, were the most wonderful people, most godly people, uh, incredible family, my parents never set me down and had to talk about sex. They were like old school. Like, my dad was a farmer, and kind of, before he became a pastor, and I think the farmers, if they wanted you to learn anything about sex, they'd just send you out in the field and say, go watch the animals, and you'll figure stuff out for me. I, I don't know what they thought, but he, he and my mom never talked to me about sex. Whatever I learned about sex, I learned either in eighth grade health class, which, by the way, is not the most uplifting environment uh, middle school boys learning about sex in a class, you can just, it's, it's crazy. Or church, which was pretty limited in my time of discussions about sex, or among my friends. Now, fortunately, when I got um, in high school, college, when I got married, I had close friends who directed and helped where I was in my sexual understanding so when I had kids, I determined that was not going to be the case. I was going to have conversations with my children about sex, that they were going to learn about sex from me, not from a health class, not from their friends. So when my first son got into, I think it was fifth grade, honestly, fifth grade, I, I planned this weekend where he and I were going to a baseball game, and we'd stay in a hotel, and we'd have the talk, and... Now, first of all, unbeknownst to me, at that point, fifth grade was already too late um, because some of his friends were several years older, and I would like to say clearly they were both elders and pastor's children who told my son about sex before I ever got the opportunity. Now, I'm not offended. I'm just like, if you think homeschooling will shield your children from things, if they're talking to another person, boy, who's alive, they will discover things. <laughs> now, also, like, like me, and especially if their friends are a couple of years older, it was so cute, I remember. And I'll just name names because I don't mind at this point. 
I got nothing to lose. I, one of Jared's close friends were the Rogers twins who were several years older than him, and they gave him some information. They weren't the only ones. They gave him some information, and, you know, they started going through puberty because they were a couple of years older, and uh, they said to Jared, hey, hey, don't worry about it. We'll wait for you, and we'll all go through it together. <laughs> Is that not the sweetest thing ever? Like, you could put puberty on hold and wait for your friends to... To come on up. Don't worry about it. We'll wait for you. That's kind of the knowledge that's in there. But it was still not exactly correct. I remember, though, now, listen, I have some experience in public speaking. I was prepared. I had, you know, I have a friend who's an OBGYN. Uh, and so I had diagrams and things, and you know, I mean, I was ready. Uh, I had everything ready to go for this conversation. I had books. Anyway, it, it was still difficult to kind of break the ice to have this conversation. The hardest part was the first two or three sentences. How do we, how do we go from a Braves game to talking about sex? No, I did not merge the analogies in any way, but at the same time, it's just like, how do I start this conversation? And that's kind of where this talk, this starts, is the father, now I wish I could go back and do it again, I want to say, there's a hundred things I wish I could do differently, uh, I think I'd be much better at it now, let's just pretend that's true. For all my experience and preparation, what I'm saying is, it's still not an easy conversation to have with your children or with hundreds of people. But this author, the author of Proverbs, is saying to his son, son, I, I want us to, to, to get away. I want us to have this conversation. And then he starts talking about the adulteress. And he said the adulteress is pictured really as having, it's in the verse before this, but her, her speech is like honey. Her lips are like honey. Her speech is like oil. And it's very, by the way, graphic language. And we don't, some people talk about the adulteress as like a prostitute or a, I think it's more like the personification of sexual activity. Like anything outside of God's plan. This is the draw of sex. Let's, it's like honey, it's like oil, it's, it, 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 it's sweet, but then the end of it is going to turn bitter and deadly. I, the porn industry does not fight fair. The porn industry, it exploits the people who are in it, it exploits the people who are viewing it, it ex, it's an exploitation that leads to death. It's that idea of a sexual ideal that doesn't even exist in real life. And some people become addicted to pornography to the point that they can't really even have sex with a real person. Why? Because it's, it's got this visualization that's like honey and oil. And, but it's exploitation of your heart and your body is that it will become bitter and lead to death. It, it, it's like never enough. It's, it, it's always growing. And, and this is the invitation that the author of Proverbs is giving to this 
day and age when we're like crazy fools about sex. Before my eighth grade health education class, I was at my, and again, all these people are deceased, and I'm not speaking bad, please, of anyone. Just to let you know my kind of journey, I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. I was at my mom's parents' house, and unbeknownst to my mom, her sister, her youngest sister, who was out in California living the wildlife, you know, she was a hippie and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she had given my grandfather, her dad, a subscription to Playboy, which, looking back on it now, just sounds nuts to me. What daughter would give their dad a subscription to Playboy? Well, you know, he knew we were coming, so he didn't have them out all on the out, but they were in, like, his closet. Well, we were in their bedroom playing, me and one of my cousins, and we discovered... And you can imagine a sixth grade boy like, oh my goodness, what, what is this treasure trove? At least in a sixth grade head. But you know, once those images get stuck in your head, they are really hard to get out of your head. And as a sixth grade boy, there is really looking back now, I think a violation of who I was that both affected my view of the future and just a number of things in my heart and life. You've all got your own stories. I'm just giving you mine. Because there's an invitation here for the author of Hebrews to say, look, we've got to talk about this. And the church has been way too silent on the issue of sex for way too long. And as a result, what happens in the shadows is bitter and death. And I believe that the way that we can overcome this is to expose this to the light. I think my first point here today, and that's the first of three, so just hang on, but this is really a serious topic, and it's a topic that is killing us and our young adults and our society. Look, we can talk all we want to about a vaccine, but there is no vaccine, so to speak. There's protection. There's life. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. But at the same time, we have to quit being silent on this issue. I think this is an invitation to a conversation to anyone here today who is addicted to sex in any form, from pornography to whatever the case may be. It's time for a talk. It's time for the church to talk. It's time for families to talk. It's time for a talk. Here's the talk. He then goes on. He goes, now, my sons, I'm picking up now in verse 7. Verses 1 through 6 are the introduction. Verse 7, kind of the context. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. 
you will say, I'm blaming her. No, no, that's not what you're going to say. Were you all saying with me there through the reading? At the end of my life, I'm not going to say it was her fault. It was his fault. It was their fault. No, at the end of my life, I'm going to say how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. You may look at this passage and think, oh, the blame is the adulteress. You know, honey lips. That's who I'm blaming. No, no. He's saying, I, I lacked discipline. I got off the path. I got lost. There is a uniqueness to sexual sin that's different than any other type of sin in the way it captures you and will lead you and direct you. You'll make decisions to forego good things in order to do bad things. You'll say to people, I gotta go, I gotta leave this place, I gotta go here, I gotta go do this, I gotta go do that, when all you're doing is going to a place where your sexual gratification can be fulfilled. It will, it will possess you, and you'll make bad decisions. You'll make financial decisions. You make family decisions to, to leave a family. I mean, I wish I could say we're in a church where we haven't had people who said, I'm going to abandon my entire family and I'm going to go with this other person because it's a sexual thing. But we have. Because in some senses, all of us are sexual fools. We have this. And he's inviting to the talk and say, don't get off the path. By the way, this is pretty key. Don't get off the path. Now, you can get back on the path, but the easiest thing to do is what? Stay on the path. Discipline yourself to stay on the path. Now, I've done a wee bit of hiking, and I, a lot of times I go hiking with my son. This is Adam and I. This is Adam, really. We're in the Grand Tetons. And the path there is pretty clear, Right? I'm, I'm not going up or down. If you look at this path, I'm like, I'm staying on this path. You know, it's, I'm not going to get off this, this path. So a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, two years ago coming up, um, I was going out to meet my pastor's prayer group. We were going to meet in Jackson, and we're going to pray. I, I figure if you're going to pray somewhere, you might as well go somewhere nice and pray. Uh, sorry, it's here at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. It, this is the best we can do. But when I go to the pastor's prayer group, we try to get away somewhere or not. Anyway, I flew out a day early to meet Adam, and I get off the plane, and Adam goes, let's go for a hike. It's just the way he breathes. Um, let's go for a hike. And I've just flown in. And what, what, what's our elevation here, like two feet? I don't know. It's like 800 feet here in Birmingham. It's like six, 7,000 feet elevation there. And I said, Adam, I'm just getting off a plane I don't know. I'm in decent shape. Adam has always thought more of me physically than I've thought of myself. I mean, he's really, he challenges me when we go on these hikes. He said, it's not a bad hike. It's not a bad hike. So we're going to go to this place called Delta Lake, um, which not a bad view, right? Um, and so we're hiking on a trail. And then the next thing I know, Adam turns into the woods and I see no trail. And then we kind of jump through some bushes and we're on 
not really much of a trail. Now, let me just say this. Adam's idea of an easy hike and my idea of an easy hike are totally, totally different. I don't call walking up this wall an easy hike, but that would be his definition of an easy hike. So anyway, we get into this boulder field. I got a point here. Just hang with me besides just telling a story. We get in this boulder field, and it was much, this is it, but it's much bigger than this. And I say to Adam, because he, he likes to let me lead, uh, because I'm much slower. Otherwise, if he led, he would be gone and I would never find him. So he lets the slow person go first. And I guess if I fall, he can go pick up my body or whatever. He'll know where to send the rangers or whatever. So I'm in this boulder field and Adam's a little bit behind me. And I'm like, Adam, I, wh I, th where do I go? It's just rocks everywhere. I don't know. And I couldn't even see trees at the first part of it. And Adam yells at me, um, just look for the Karen. Just look for the Karen. I'm like, what? And Adam's, Adam's way to define a word is to yell it louder. You know what I mean? He doesn't exactly back up and explain. He just thinks you should know. Oh, he must not have heard what I've said. So he just said, look for the Karen. Look for the Karen. So... I think I'm looking for, I don't know what I'm looking for. Does anybody know what a Karen is? So I, I didn't. It, by the way, it's spelled C-A-I-R-N. And it is a stack of rocks that marks out the trail. So if you're in like a boulder field or somewhere else, you just look for this stack of rocks and you head toward that. Sounds simple, right? Here's the point. We live in a day and age where people have stacked up rocks are all around us. You know, there is no clear path anymore. The path is whatever you want to make it when it comes to sex. Take your own trail. Do your own thing. But God has a path, I believe, that is clearly marked out for every single one of us. And we need to follow his path. Now, we can, we can claim and say, look outdated, the trail is no longer valid for this 21st century mentality. We, we, we can make claims that, that that was then, this is now. But I think the Bible is pretty clear, pretty clear on sex and how it's to go. Now, if you stopped right here in the book of Proverbs, you'd come away with where the church teaches many people about sex these days. And that's this. Sex is bad. Sex is bad. Just avoid sex. Don't have sex. Sex is a terrible thing. Avoid it at all costs. Which is what the church has mainly done. To tell young adults, look, sex is so bad, just don't even, we don't even want to talk about it. It's just bad. Don't do it. Don't look at it. Don't look at someone else. Don't do this. Don't do this. We're just a bunch of don'ts. We, it's like there is no path except to dive standing still on the path when it comes to sex. But that's not what Proverbs 5 points out coming up. It points a clear path of sexual enjoyment in God's, in God's plan. So let's continue reading uh, Proverbs 5, which is already on your uh, screen, starting verse 15. He says, drink water from your own cistern, 
running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Hey, look up here for a second. Do you understand we're not talking about fountains and wells here? Do you, are you with me? That's not what he... He's not talking about you got a broken pipe at your house, call the plumber and fix your pipe. He's talking about sexual activity within the home. He's saying don't let your fountains go out. Don't, don't let your, you know, let you can figure it out. He goes on and says, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, we love this passage. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Take a vacation together. Have dinner together. Have a conversation. Go on walks together. Do you understand he's not saying rejoice in the wife of your youth in this context? He is saying enjoy the sexual pleasure of a couple within marriage. I mean, it's a graphic passage. I mean, he's saying both. Go on vacations, have a walk, talk, that kind of thing as well. But he is saying enjoy the wife of your youth. Couples enjoy each other. There should be a pleasure in sex that is long neglected within the conversation of the church. He goes on and says, if you think that was bad, he goes on and says, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? He's clearly marking this path, but it's a path of sexual satisfaction within the context of marriage. And he's not just talking to a young couple, he's talking to couples. Notice in this passage a couple of things. First, it's very graphic. It's very decisive. Let me see if I can word it for you another way. Here's what he's saying. Keep your fire in your fireplace, but let it burn bright. Keep it always hot. You with me? That's what he's saying. He's also never in here says, you know, the God gave sex simply to make babies. That's the whole purpose of sex is to make babies. He's not talking about, nowhere babies mentioned here. It's always about, it, this entire passage is about, here is God's plan for your sexual appetite being fulfilled. Context of marriage. Husband, husband, and wife. And I'd also like to say that he's clearly embracing, so to speak, the, the joy of sex. For by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And if it's, say the word all with me. All. Say it again. All. Do you think all includes sex? All. It includes sex. I mean, the problem is we're so fallen that we've followed our sexual appetite to wherever we think it's going to, whatever cistern it's going to 
whatever well we want to drink from, so to speak. But God is saying, no, don't, don't go to other wells. Don't throw your fountains in the street. Ed Wheat has a book called Intended for Pleasure. Dr. Ed Wheat and his wife, Gail, they're a Christian couple. This book has been around for quite a while. It's really a book on Christians and sexual pleasure. And in this book, he says the message is brief. The message in brief is this. You have God's permission to enjoy sex within your marriage. He invented sex. He thought it up to begin with. You can learn to enjoy it. And husbands, you can develop a thrilling, happy marriage with the wife of your youth. The author then goes on and says, people, it's time for a decision. Verses 21 following four, a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin enfold him. He will die for lack of discipline led astray by his own great folly. Again, the decision comes back down to the person, not blaming somebody else. We live in the blame game, for sure. But he's saying, listen, his, his death in this area will become, comes because of his own lack of discipline. It becomes because he's led astray by his own great folly. We live in an age where sex is a commodity. Sex is, it, there's an appetite that needs to be fulfilled. Just as I would go and eat at Golden Corral, I can go and have my sexual need met in whatever format I want to have it met. And even within the church, if you look at all the stats about um, evangelical believers, those who are in that category, who now live together um, before marriage, those who are divorced, um, those who are, have, have had affairs, it, the stats, though, those who watch porn, the stats are pretty similar. Now, among committed evangelicals, it's lower, but it's still way too high. We need, we need to decide now all right, here's God's plan, and I'm going to follow God's plan. What is God's plan? God's plan is for sexual activity to be done within the commitment of marriage. But we, are, we, have, we have decided that commitment is too big a commitment. You know what I mean? To commit, it's, it's too hard. I can't commit forever. I'll commit until, until it doesn't satisfy me anymore. And then at that point, I will commit again. That's not commitment. That's treating the person that you say you love like a commodity. I'm going to have these. It's treating sex like groceries. It's saying I'm going to, I'm going to consume and then when there's nothing else that really satisfy my consumption because now I want a different dinner, I'll go another way. Now you look, may look at me and say, no, no, that's not me. I really love this person. Can you at least be honest enough to say that, no, you love them in the moment, but you don't love them to commit to them? 
because God's picture of marriage and sexual activity within marriage has to do with the commitment of a husband and wife to each other for, for life. It might be easy to sit here and say, you know, that's really not me. Okay, that may not be you. But because we live in this over-sexualized culture in which we live, we all, all, have some things in our hearts and our minds that need to be, in a sense, we're all sexual fools. Here's what I want you to, I've kind of gone around the map, and I hope that you've kind of hung with me in this discussion. Here's, here's what I want us to come to a conclusion of that I would like to say to all of us. It's that God wants you to know that your sexuality is a magnificent gift from him. This gift, it is for his glory and your blessing. If indeed all things were created by him and for him, it was created for your blessing and for his glory. If you've stumbled in this area of sexuality, it would be easy to say, I'm condemned, I can't ever get back on track. Look, the gospel of forgiveness and reconciliation is available for you. God is a God of forgiveness. None of us have gone so far that God can't pull us back on the path. None of us. And it doesn't matter, by the way. You may be saying, you know, I'm not that far off the path. I'm just like right here. Listen, off the path is off the path. It doesn't matter if you fell down the whole mountain or you're just barely off the path. In God's sight, you're off the path. That's what sin is, and we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but his free gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgiveness, you are a new creation in him. Jesus, the gospel is the perfect answer for sexual fools, which we all are. And we need to run to the arms of a forgiving Savior and allow him to make all things new. That's my encouragement. Twofold. God loves you. This path of sex is his idea. It's magnificent. Enjoy it in the context of your own fireplace. Let it burn bright. If your fire jumped out, get it back in. By God's grace, come to Christ and receive forgiveness. Walk in his presence. You may say, you know, sex is just so fun. I don't know if I want to listen. Here, I, I love this passage from, from Psalms. I read it all the time because, yeah, sin is fun in the moment. If anyone tells you sin is not fun, they don't know what sin is. Honestly. But it's sweet that it turns to bitter that turns to death. Where do we find pleasures evermore if sex is really about? We find it in the presence of God. 
You make known to me the path. Here's this path again. This path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. We will never get people to stop sinning by telling them not to sin. Ever. Why? Because sin's fun. Even though it tastes bad later, it's fun in the moment. Instead, we have to hold up the view that real pleasure, lasting pleasure, the greatest pleasure is by being in God's presence. Hold up a higher view of what pleasure really looks like. This week, in prayer, we're consecrating ourselves. Now, to consecrate means to set yourself apart for God's plan and for God's purpose. And obviously, I've been talking about sexuality this morning, but really, I believe this is an important week in the life of our church. This is an important week for us to, to, to say, I want to newly set myself apart I want to be on the right path, and wherever I've gotten off the path, God, show me the right path. Show me the path of life, because I want to be at your right hand. I want to be in pleasures evermore in every arena of my life. So to get back on the path, I just want to set, I want to set some things aside in order to hear from you. So I'm asking you as a church, as a people, to set some things aside for the next six days in order to help hear from God. Now, generally, when we do these things, we do a time of prayer and fasting. And I'm just going to point blank ask you to, to, to do a fast from all media, from all social media, from scrolling online, to hear from God. I'm, I'm asking you to, to not watch YouTube videos for a week. I'm asking you as much as you possibly can to set it down to set it aside in order to try and hear from God. You know, I'm going to take it off sex for a second. I'm going to start preaching. Please don't let me offend you. But some of us are so frozen trying to figure out, is the vaccine going to keep me from dying or is it going to kill me and make it where I can't have children in the future? I don't know if the CDC is trying to help me or they're the new world order. I don't know if the vaccine is a, is a mark of the beast or if it's, a, if it's a loving my neighbor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of us are so inundated with information that that's all. You're, you're laying down at night thinking about this stuff. And I'm asking you for six days to give it up. Don't watch preachers on YouTube. Don't watch uh, other stuff on YouTube. Don't watch... Just take a media fast. Now, i got to tell you, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me because I love to read the newspaper. I love to read all this different stuff. But I realized the other day, I'm consuming all this stuff, but really, I think some of this stuff is consuming me. And instead, I want to I I get myself into God's word. I want to, con- have I offended you? Are we okay? We still love each other? I, 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 want you to, I want you to take a week, six days, to set yourself apart to try and hear from God and let him speak to you. And I'm asking you on your prayer card to just write something you want to hear from God about. You know, you may have other needs like health or healing for a friend or whatever, but 
I, I'm just saying, and if you want to put your name, great, and we'll pray for you specifically in the days ahead. We're going to pray over these cards every morning for the next six days. And we'll cry, we will, those of us that are present, will lift your prayer request up before the Lord that you would hear from God. Now, if you don't want to put your name, that's fine, but we'll still give your request. And if you do want your name listed, that's great. I think it's even better. I don't, there's nothing to be ashamed about in the context of praying for one another, right? So my, as your pastor, I'm asking you to set yourselves apart for the next six days to hear from God, to let your life be reconsecrated. And really, when we come to the table of the Lord and take of this bread, which body which was broken, you're saying, God, I, I, I want to take this bread and and just as his body was broken, I'm going to take this bread into me and it's going to become a part of me. It's going to go to every cell of my being. I want to be that connected with my Lord and Savior where he consumes me. And I take this cup, which is the cup of forgiveness. It's the new covenant in his blood. And I'm going to drink it. I'm going to say, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that I can, a sexual fool can run to the Savior who loves me and forgives me in every area of my life and makes me new. I want to set myself apart. I want to consecrate myself for your plans and purposes for me in, in the days ahead. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to stand. Craig and the team are going to come back up. And they're going to sing over us. For just a minute, we're going to worship. And while they worship over us, we're going to just, I'm asking you to write your prayer request down, put it on the card, um, drop it in the offering plate when you come up for your, to receive the elements. And then in a couple of minutes, I'm going to call you all up to come to the table of the Lord. This side will go to, to my right, middle section is down the middle aisle, left section uh, over to the left. Get the elements. And go back to your places. Now, let me just also say this. We have, um, we have if you don't want to touch the bread or, or get the cup, there are sealed ones on the table, and you're free to take those. If that would, makes you more, we're, we're free here. I, there's no condemnation. Whichever one you want to take is fine, fine with us. Our elders and wives will be there to meet you and greet you and, and hand out the elements. And you're going to take them back to your place. You're going to receive the elements. I'll, I'll direct you in doing that. And then we're going to worship. We're going to worship again. So to start off with, grab your prayer card, write your prayer request down, stand up when you're done with that, and let's worship. And in a moment, I'll call you to the table of the Lord. It's 
the joining of the bride and the sun, the two becoming one. All the prophecies fulfilled in a
is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Take. blood of Christ which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins take and drink it's incredible that in the New Testament we have this meal that signifies the end of Jesus life his earthly life and at the same time in the book of Revelation we have this invitation to a meal and that meal is this picture that we're even talking about today. It's why marriage is so important. The bride, groom, the lamb, the lion invites us to this meal. And we say yes. Our job is to also invite others to come with us despite their imperfections and their failures and their fallings like all of us have to say, Come to Jesus, the healer, the deliverer, the forgiver. Stand with me and let's confess that we will shout it to the whole world. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Withdrawal symptoms from 
you know, not scanning all your social media posts and tweets and, you know, whatever, or YouTube. But God is, you're going to see great things. I believe God is going to do some things in your heart and your life that help us break free. So I'm excited about the week. I hope you'll join us at prayer here, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. I know, as Scott said, for some people that's like, what? 6 a.m.? What does that look like? Well, come, come, we'll show you. We'll show you what it looks like. You can also join us online if you're not able to make it in the building. Join us for prayer online every morning at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great week. And then Wednesday night, we'll pray for our students. It's going to be awesome, people. We love prayer. Prayer moves things in us and God's purposes and plans. We really believe that. So join us as we set ourselves apart and pray uh, this week. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Go out there and shout for the world to hear.